You're listening to The Catalyst with Samantha Chris, where we explore the inner workings of embracing the unknown, from ordinary daily habits to extraordinary measures. Get ready, we're about to ignite change and inspire action. With me today is Marsha Van Weinsberg. Marsha is a speaker and a business coach and a six-time best-selling author of When She Stopped Asking Why. In that book, she shares her lessons as a parent who dealt with teen substance abuse far past the level of normal experimentation. Through her programs, coaching, and live events for women, Marsha is on a mission to teach women how to own their choices in their own life. She teaches women how to own their stories, lead themselves, and pay it forward to others by creating businesses that serve, support, and impact others. Marsha, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here today. I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. I have been excited for it all day. In fact, weeks. weeks. (laughs) (laughs) I knew this was coming. And I was so totally moved when I heard you speak for the first time at the Great Canadian Women's Summit. And even though we have such different stories, your Mm -hmm. words and your wisdom resonated with me so deeply that I knew I needed to introduce you to my audience in a big way. Oh, I can't. I'm so thank, so thankful and so grateful for that because you just never know exactly how your story or your talk is going to land. And it's interesting when it lands with people from all different backgrounds and demographics and life experiences. And you realize that again, we're more alike than different. So I really do like hearing that the message landed and resonated. So thank you so much. My pleasure. And it was interesting because I try not to go into those types of talks as an audience member with expectations or any preconceived Mm -hmm. idea of whether or not I'm going to relate to the speaker, but it still does happen on occasion where I just, I I go in thinking one thing and I'm so pleasantly surprised to leave thinking another because when you stepped on stage, I could tell right away from your stage presence and from the way that you are connecting with the audience that it was going to be impactful, but I didn't fully anticipate really connecting with the story that you were sharing, because in reading just the synopsis, I was thinking, wow, we've, we've just led such different lives. Mm-hmm. And the minute you started talking, it's like, oh my gosh, there's just so much value and nuggets that are applicable, no matter who you are, no matter what walk of life you've, you know, you've had or the cards that you've been dealt with. And it's, it was just fascinating the way that you were able to take your story and allow members of the audience to see parts of themselves in it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. That was one of my top values when it came to writing my book was as I worked with my publisher, it was like, I need this message needs to land in a way that if you have never walked a day in my shoes, that you could relate to the emotions that I experienced. And that's Mm -hmm. really what my core purpose for it was. So, because in many times um, there, the book's been shared, people have gifted it to others. And it's been a case where it's, um, you know, almost this feeling that, well, I don't have that story, so I don't think I'll get anything from it. And I think when people read it, they realize that, oh, wait, no, actually I've lived all of those emotions and feelings before, and I just didn't realize it. So we are definitely more alike than different. And that's what really makes a great storyteller, right? It's about helping people see parts of their journey in yours. And whether it's fiction or nonfiction or true life events or autobiography, it is so important to 
connect with the audience and really get their minds almost to separate from, again, those preconceived ideas, those intentions and yes. expectations that they brought going in and saying, just leave that at the door and come in with an open heart and open mm-hmm. mind and see where it takes you. And you'll realize, just like you said, we're actually more alike than we are different. Absolutely. We absolutely are. So this podcast is all about change and we're definitely going to get into some of the changes that you've made in your life and how you're helping women make changes in theirs. But before we do, I'd really like to know what change means to you. Hmm. I I really see change as the one true constant that we have in our lives. Like it, it comes, it's available. It is something that we are exposed to. We can embrace it or we can resist it. And I, I really believe that the more we resist it, that we're blocking out things that are available to us that we could either use for our own growth to make a difference in someone else's life or to open us up to the next experience that is coming. And many times I would think that one experience we have in life prepares us for the next. And as we grow, we learn and that we are more ready for what is coming next. So that is really embracing change. And I mean, I say that, but boy, did I resist it for a long time. I absolutely, <laughs> like, let's be real. I resisted it for a very long time because I was that, you know, controlling perfectionist, wanting everything to go a certain way. And it's, it's it, the ebb and flow that I live now was not the person that I was for so long. So now I really look at it and go, okay, this must mean that more change is coming. Um, I'm maybe there's something for me. Maybe there's something for me to learn something that I can pay forward to someone else and get almost curious about the change and um, the concept of change instead of resisting it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Your entire life has changed in the last three to five years, right? Completely, completely. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've been through? Absolutely. It's, um, when I look back, I almost don't recognize the person that I was before. And, um, I don't say that with any begrudging. I just, I don't recognize she's our strengths that get us through parts of our life. Um, they really serve us well, but there comes a point in time where we actually have to accept or acknowledge that what we've learned up till now has got us here. And if we want something more, we will have to learn something different. And as we were dealing with teen substance abuse, and I just, there's, there's definitely nothing I could do to put that into context to what that time in life was like. And I had to went through the whole process of controlling, fixing, managing, trying to stop it, begging others for help, asking for help, going to as many places I could think of with my little checklist to say what to do next, what to do next. And nothing changed. It was literally, as I can say it, that when, when drugs came into our life, they just amplified everything. They never went away. It just never went away. And it kept escalating. And I hit a point where I had to realize that my way was not working. Um, and I had to either accept that it was going to take me out or I didn't know where it was going to go. And it was really a complete moment of surrender where we almost lost both boys in the span of a few days apart. And it was a moment where you think you're, you're controlling your life by keeping everyone safe. And it's, 
it's this realization that I actually don't have any control at all. The only control I have is myself. And that really became my entire platform for change is what can I change? What can I control? What choice can I own? So that I really became internal about what can I take control of? And really at the end of the day, as much as we just don't like to hear that, it's ourselves. It is just ourselves. That's it. And that was the realization and that was the growth. And that has been the huge change in my life is taking massive, massive ownership for myself. So when something is not going the way that I want, it also means reflecting that, okay, what am I doing? What am I not doing? What do I need to change? What do I need to own? What do I need to take responsibility for? It's just completely putting myself in that spot to take that ownership and change. And it's funny by not trying to control everyone else around me, it creates change because we create change in ourselves and that changes the whole dynamic of the relationship and of what it's, what is happening. So we can create change by starting with ourselves first. I love it. One of the things you mentioned earlier and what wasn't working was this concept of controlling and fixing and managing. So were were those all external, you were trying to control kind of external factors and people other than yourself? Yes, 1000%. When you have, um, and not to justify, but when you have kids, and it's funny, we have this plan of what our life is going to look like, how it's going to map out, what it's going to be. And then, then the path doesn't go the way you think, which Mm. really, let's just be real (laughs) for a second. That's everyone, right? Like, it's just not just me. But you don't know that when you're younger, you think like, but this is not like, here's the thing. We don't, bad things happen to good people all the time. I mean, there's not, I don't know how many times I hear people say, but why me? Well, but why, why, why someone else? I don't know. It's things happen all the time. So asking those questions and thinking in that way are very victim questions. So I had to shift my thinking from that. But when your kids are minors in, that's another whole story. But when your kids are minors in Canada, in Ontario, I should say for sure, we, we don't have a ton of control in the sense that my kids, everything they were hearing from the only people who had an issue with what they were doing, living or being was mom and dad. There was no issues anywhere else, like school, police, that if it was absolutely ridiculous. So we were the only ones that were having an issue with it. And at this point, understanding that at 14 and 15, my kids weren't coming home. They were gone for days, weeks, not going to school. I mean, and when I say extreme, it's extreme. So I was trying to control because I was trying to keep them alive and trying to keep them safe and trying to right. do what I could to stop like stopping the worst movie of your life that you have to watch, but someone's duct taped you to the chair and you can't, you can't get away from it. So controlling it to change it was the only thing I could try and do. But the tighter I tried to control it, the worse it got, the worse it got. And it was, it's a really tough balance of understanding that where is my line stop as a parent and where does their ownership begin? And when they're minors, you know, you really, you're on the hook as a parent, you have to figure this out. So the only thing left to do was to change myself. There was nothing else to do, but other than to change me. And I had to change my approach to the whole situation. And, you know, when you change your approach to a problem that you've been fighting for years, it doesn't mean automatically that everything else changes in accordance. It, it's like actually gets worse. Things blow up even more in the beginning because you're changing the pattern 
And when you change the pattern, it gets worse. Oh, absolutely. You're disrupting the whole norm. Like what was working for my kids, for my husband, for my family, just stopped working because I didn't play the game anymore. And I think somebody said to me, a counselor had said to me that every situation you have, you can either throw fire on the, on, on the argument, or you can throw sand. And if you participate in it and you engage in it, you're always throwing fire. So stop throwing fire and learn how to manage yourself and throw sand. And so I did start throwing sand and it, like, you could just see, I completely disrupted the mold for everybody. Nobody knew what to do with me, Mm. but I needed to go to that space to create change. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot, I think, easier said than done, especially for some who yes. are listening, where we say, you just got to embrace it. You've got to be able to realize that what you're doing is not serving you anymore and do something different and take ownership. But I think there's, there's a lot behind the scenes that will get you from being stuck and being in a place where you just feel like, I can't possibly do this for another day. And then that mindset shift of, oh, no. I've got to change me. It starts with me. And so what was that process like of really accepting the fact that you needed to change and really starting to lean in and embrace what was necessary in order for you to survive and the health of your family? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a really good question. In a short synopsis, it was me going from the space of, again, the fixer, the one doing the homework, trying to find the answers. I called every association I could think of. I was seeing counselors on a regular basis. I was at the school. I did not hide what was happening. I did. I was very upfront with the school with what was going on. And I know that's a really difficult thing for some people to do. Um, I just was looking for help. And to that day, to this day, I think that actually helped us because the school worked with us because they, there was no hiding anything. I, I, I was very upfront with what was going on. And so you go from that space of, you know, taking your checklist, going everywhere and asking for the support. And I remember a counselor saying to me, yeah, you've done it all. And I'm like, but I still have the problem. So I don't understand what I'm supposed to right. do next. And he said, your checklist is done. And I'm like, it's not done though. You're not listening. The problem is still here and it's amplified. And he said, because it's not your problem anymore. And I, that is, it's an awful thing to hear as a parent. No kidding. But here's the thing. I mean, I think that you finally come to, I, I finally came to a space of learning to change because there was honestly no other options left. There was nothing else left to do. My checklist was done. I was, you know, basically trying to keep my kids safe in here when they came home. Um, if they were under 16, even if they'd been gone for a week, I was not allowed to lock them out. I was not allowed to keep them out um, by law. So they could just literally come and go when they wanted. And so we were, and I'm not saying they did, but that was the legal ramifications from our point. So we were completely in a spot where we didn't have a ton of control. And there came a time where after fighting with getting support, begging for support, trying to make them accountable, I actually really, I really wanted my kids to have some accountability because we all, I don't know what human changes anything without accountability. We just don't change any behavior if there's no accountability. And that was a a struggle that I had gone through many, many times. And then I hit a, we hit a spell where a time period of time where we, we did almost lose both of them in a span of four days. One was, uh, and one was an attempted suicide and the other one was an overdose and both were in our house. 
And at that point, it was realizing that everything I think I'm doing is not working. Mm -hmm. And I need to accept that it's not a case of, um, it's not a case of fault. It's just, it's not working. I have to do something differently because I remember having this vision that I wasn't going to survive anymore. And a counselor had said to me, if you don't figure out a way to be a springboard, if your kids want to come back and turn their lives around, you have nothing left for them. And that was, that was a really great thing to tell me because I was like, you know what? He's right. Like I was a complete mess at that time. Right. And so I started to think about what could I do to help myself to feel better? It wasn't about getting in shape or doing, you know, inspirational stuff. I just had to feel better. And as I started to feel, do things to help me to feel better. And that's everything from who I surrounded myself with. What was I reading? What was I doing for my own health? What was I eating? Um, so that I could start to increase my energy a little bit to deal with what we had. And then the other thing I would say with change that made a big difference. One of the things I had to go through is the word ownership and ownership is a big part of my life right now in the fact that at that point in time, I was doing a lot of reading with Brene Brown. I was doing a lot of um, personal work, trying to figure out how to handle the situation. And I came across the concept of ownership and the fact that two people cannot own a problem at the same time. And the more I took ownership for their choices, they didn't have to take ownership for them. And I'm not helping them if they don't have to take ownership for their own choices. And regardless of whether you have any issues with your kids, that's a concept that I think is, it works all the way around, if that makes Big sense. Time. Yeah. Absolutely. And part of what resonated so much about your story was, you know, again, we've had very different experiences, very mm. different backgrounds, and still this concept of trying to control and trying to manage and trying to fix everything outside yes. of me and yes. my life and my choices is something that I was intimately familiar with. <laughs> and yes, that I shift, the shift of taking ownership and realizing that you are in control of your thoughts and your actions and your beliefs and for yes. making yourself feel better, no matter your reality was a super, super powerful message. And I think is one that so many of us need to hear or to just be reminded of. But one of the things that I have, um, I would say a hard time with but I've definitely dealt with more than on more than one occasion is this idea of what are they going to think? Mm -hmm. You know, when I feel almost at the point of feeling ready of asking for help and I've kind of reached the end of my rope and I'm thinking, man, something's got to give, what else, where can I go? What resources are available? Who can I just have see me and extend their hand to help me in this moment? There is that, fear or hesitation of what are they going to think? Yeah. And I've put on, I don't even know if it would be a facade because I don't feel that it's fake, but I have presented myself to the world in such a way that it, I feel sometimes if I show up in any other way, but that, then my reputation is blown or my credibility will go out the window. And so you talked about mm -hmm. not hiding anymore mm -hmm. and stepping forward. Can you, explain what that was like. I can imagine with the school knowing and perhaps friends and family knowing Ugh. that you were probably faced with some mean commentary or judgment. Oh. <laughs> just, I, 
Oh, it's an understatement. It's an absolute understatement. I, yes, hiding is something I, I mastered for a long time because, and I always joke about that. I had to go get groceries at night, like in the dark when nobody was out late at night because people would stop me in the grocery store and say something. They would stop me at sporting events and say something. They would send me messages. They would say like, what are you doing? Why don't you do something to stop this? Um, do you know how bad it is? Do you understand? Like it's, it was all the things that I couldn't even imagine doing to somebody else in that when they're in such a horrific point of view, but at the same time, I do believe that everybody was doing the best that they could because nobody knew what to do. This was completely, there's no script for it. There's just no book for how we were living. So hiding became the only way because I just avoided everyone. And I smiled that, yes, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It was never fine, but with the schools and the support, I was very honest with them, with my friends and everyone else. I just tried to just put a smile on. And because I worked in a field where, I mean, during the day I was a kinesiologist. So I was working with clients back to back to back. So all day long, people would ask me questions and I became a master deflector master. I could do it so fast that I just never really spoke about myself. And so in all areas of my life, whether I was in public or in person, I was hiding, I was mastering hiding. But what happens when we hide, we think we're protecting ourselves from them, whoever them are. So whenever we hear ourselves say, well, what they think I always challenge and say, who are they? Who are they? Right. Like, are they, they, the people that you would bring into your house and have for dinner? Cause if they're not, then let it go. Cause it's not, they're not your people. Um, but what if they are, what if they are the people that you bring into your house and have for dinner? What if they're the people that you love the most? It's so then comes boundaries, then comes boundaries and really coming to a space of realizing that people, when they are speaking with you in these kinds of topics and these kinds of stories, that they are bringing all of their history to your conversation, mm -hmm. right? Like all of their opinions, all of their history. So when people have that conversation is far more about them than you. And, um, it's, it's, it's a great question. I'm glad you asked that because there have been some family members that I actually for a period of time had to almost not have any conversations with because they didn't know how to cope with what was happening. So they, they like, and their opinions and their criticisms was just that I, something that I would say, you know what, I cannot take this on right now. I don't have space or energy for this right now. I understand you're doing the best that you can, but this is not helping me right now. So I have to, and I even went as far, I have used this, the old cliche, I'm pretty sure I've worn my shoes the whole time. Or that advice is very easy when you're living um, a distance away and not living in my house, in my, like living my life. Right. And people, right, we give that advice. I mean, it's, it's many times, even when the kids were little, like I'm, I remember somebody saying like, you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this. And we had a very colicky, one of them was very colicky. And my husband was like, I'm sorry, were you volunteering to take like, <laughs> in our house? For, did I miss that in the like five days? Oh, you're not. Oh, okay. you just want to throw some words at it. Then never mind. No, thank you. And so you have to go from that space and realize that people are giving you their opinions a, because they desperately want, they would, I think that they do want to help. But B, people are bringing their own toolbox of tools to your situation. And if they're not living in it day in and day out, then they're giving you all that they have. So don't put their opinions on a pedestal and judge yourself 
for where you're at. Because if you're anything like me, I was looking everywhere for answers. I was like actively trying to find something. And so I getting criticism was just not, there was just no room for it anymore. There was no room. So you have to, sometimes the world gets smaller until it gets bigger. And I had people leave. I had people walk away. I had people walk away, look at me in the face and turn and walk the other way. People I had spent a lot of time with because they just didn't know what to do. So they walked, they just completely walked. And in the beginning it really hurt, but then it got to a space of when I, that happened, I had, you know, one incredible friend to this day, one of my closest friends came in that we met because of this situation. And Dada never would have met her if this hadn't happened. So every time somebody walked or I basically left their, that relationship, I used to think that, okay, so maybe this makes room for somebody else. And maybe this makes room for somebody else. And valuing myself and who I surrounded myself with. I was a very fragile, fragile person at that time. That's not weakness. Just so everybody knows that's not weakness. Fragile is that I was like very emotional and not not stable because I just was so empty. And How broken, could you be? Right? Like it's not a, it's not a weakness. I was so broken. I was so broken. Honestly, I've, I, I'm a completely different person now than what I was then, but it was very, very broken. And the judgment piece, I share this a lot with people. And I really, if you're a person who struggles with the fear of judgment of others, which let's just be real, who doesn't, um, that if you are, I really, really want you to ask yourself the question, like who judges you more than you judge yourself. And when I really thought about that, I'm like, Oh my God, I've spent years tearing myself down for being a failure as a parent, as a mom, as a person. So what they're saying to me, I'm like, I already said that. I already said that. Like, it's just all of a sudden to put it in perspective that it's like, I've already done all that. So mm. I don't need to give it more value because I had already done that to myself. That put the whole judgment thing into perspective completely. And now I see that judgment um, in a very different light in the sense that when people do say things, and I still get comments, I get comments in my in my um, DMs or in my private messages. And sometimes I look at them and I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And it's just a case of, the more we step out and share our stories and show up as we are and, and be that light in the world, we are going to rub people the wrong way. We are, we are going to, we are going to ruffle feathers. We're going to push buttons and we're going to push triggers. And I'm completely fine with doing that because that's how we change. We create change in the world, but that means it will bring some nasties out in people. And you have hmm. to become to a space of being, I'm okay with, I'm doing the best that I could. I did the best that I could and I am doing the best that I can. And if you can I have those conversations, it's huge. Yeah, I think those conversations are really, really important because when people are either in the thick of it or are in a state of fear and resistant to change, and they're in that headspace of what will they think? How will I be perceived? Mm -hmm. It's easy for people on the outside. And I say easy with kind of air quotes around it because we don't get the backstory. But I, I think people will say, you know, if anyone leaves, if anyone says something, they're just not your people. Right. And if you lose those friends, if you lose those family members, then so be it. You know, you're paving the path for more healthy relationships. And in that moment, it's almost impossible to believe. And so what I really appreciate, appreciate about your story is that internal dialogue of that's okay. There's th mm -hmm. this person is no longer 
in the picture no longer fits my narrative, no longer deserves a place in my story, mm-hmm. that's okay. There's room for other people who, you know, given the path that I'm forging for myself, that will find their place. And what Absolutely. I want to bring to the surface here, yeah, is that it's, it's one thing to think, oh, yeah, okay, people will come and go. But to actually prepare yourself for those people leaving, I don't think there is any preparation, but to know that the people who do fall out of focus, if only temporarily, there's room for other healthy relationships to come in and flourish and help you get to that next level. Oh, absolutely. I can't, I mean, I can't put enough emphasis on that. I mean, I had some people actually come to my door and yell at me. I had people and and good friends and one was saying, but you, how did she say? She said, this is so hard on me. And I'm like, you, like, what do you mean you? (laughs) Like, I just, and I I remember saying, you know what? Um, I'm going to do you a favor. It's okay. We're going to part ways. No hard feelings because this is not what I need right now. I think when you start to really respect and honor what you need as a person, and most people don't until you're in a spot like this, you really understand like, what qualities do I want to surround myself with? What people do I want to have in my corner? And I used to use the phrase, and I'm telling you, I use this with family as well, is that I call my inner circle, it's my invite only space. It's my, I mean, you don't get a pass to come into my circle because we're blood relatives. So you don't get a pass because you've been friends for 10 years. It's an invite space. I started to treat that space as gold because the only way I was going to handle change is to take care of me, like as a top, top, top priority. It was the only way. And so I started to really understand that. What did I need? Who did I need to be around? Yeah. You talk about radical ownership and I think that is such a key piece is if you're going to be serious about taking ownership of your life and your story, you need to treat yourself as the most important person. You need to respect your space, respect your inner circle, respect the fact that people don't just get to come in and say and derail and to impose their feelings and their judgment. Yes. All of it, all of it, all of it, all of it. And I, I still think back to, there was one day in particular and it was a really, really difficult day. And there, I still to this day, absolutely adore her. And I get emotional when I think of it. And she is a friend. She had a feeling there was a problem and she came by the house was surrounded. It was a, it was an absolute um, wall kicking moment. And she pulled in and, you know, not once was it what happened. It was, what can I do? Like, what can I do? And I always think of her because I think that is, that's the kind of friend I want to be like, no, I don't need details. Like, what can I do for you? What can I help? And she sat there for, you know, three hours as we dealt with everything that was going on. And at the end, she's like, okay, you know where to reach me. That's the kind of thing. Like when you get really clear about what do you want? For the longest time, I had friends where we sat and bitched and gossiped and all those things. And it's like, God, it's just so frivolous. It means nothing. And then when you're in a space like this and you have somebody who there's zero questions and walks in, I mean, that she will be in my circle forever. That's, that's just that kind of person. And when, here's the thing, I get messages all the time from people saying, but I don't have anybody. So if you don't have, don't feel like you have anybody, then what I would suggest is, is that how can you show up in the world as the person that you want to be surrounded by? 
Like, how can you become that person? How can you show up in that way? How can you help someone else in that way and think outside of yourself? Because then you start to attract that kind of person and you start to see that kind of person. And that's, I remember reading that and I started doing that because for the longest time, my whole mindset was about myself and my life and what was going on. And then when I started to think, well, how can I be that person in the world? I, I can't tell you, my inner circle is huge and amazing. And I swear it's because I allowed myself to show up that way. I think that's such an important message. And it reminds me of one of the things that just stuck in my heart and my mind when I first heard you speak. And it's this notion of an army being stronger Mm -hmm. than armor. Mm -hmm. And when you have your people and you link arms and you're in it with them, it protects you so much more than the walls that we build. And I would love for you, you, you do reference... Um, carrying and wearing the armor quite a bit, whether it's in your talks, it's in your mm-hmm. writing. And I'd love to explore that a little bit of, for those who are really too familiar with the weight <laughs> of the world and carrying this armor day in, day out, what can we share with them? Oh, thank you so much for that. I, that was, I did get quite emotional during that part of the talk because I could just feel it. And this thing is, this the armor that we carry, we carry this armor because we think that it protects us from people who are mean to us, who judge us, who are critical. And we think that we also carry that armor, let's be real, because we don't want anyone to know that we are struggling, that we are suffering, that we are having a hard time. It's like this fake piece of armor. And if you don't, if you can't visualize what the armor is, the armor is a lot of social media. It's how we portray ourselves and how we want to be seen and how we protect ourselves from things that don't feel good. So we carry this armor and we think it's serving us. And the thing is, is that it makes our world really small. And if we go back to something Brene Brown has always resonated with me, we cannot selectively block emotions. When you block out pain, you block out joy. You you just block it all. And my world became very small. And I felt like I didn't have a lot of joy. I felt like I didn't even know what joy felt like anymore, to be honest. And I was carrying this armor and I got friends leaving left, right, and center. I wasn't leaving any room for anyone to come in. And eventually it was this space of realizing that, okay, I'm carrying the armor, I'm making myself very small, and I'm not finding a solution. So this is like, not only is this, there's just no winning. This is not going to be a solution. And when we realize that we are carrying this armor, we go back to ownership. As we carry that armor, we realize that we are the only one who can put it down. No one can do it for us. But that means allowing ourselves to be seen. And I know that that is scary, but suffocating under the armor was scarier. Mm -hmm. So that's where I had to go to in a headspace. And I realized that when I put that armor down, I literally started to find like pieces of my inner circle, pieces of my army. And I felt like I had created this army. There's just another way to say it. It just felt like it was this incredibly strong group of women and friends and people because I was allowing them in. It wasn't just a case of, you know, I think that some of them had always been there, but if I'm not allowing them, then what good does it do? Because I'm not allowing people to come into my circle too. So we have to change that. And having that army there, I'm telling you is so, so powerful. So I know you asked me in the beginning, you know, when you get to a space and you're having a rough day, or if you, you know, how do you, reach out and fear what people are going to say. If you build the right army, you don't even think about it. You Mm -hmm. don't even think about it. I have uh, incredible friends that I can reach out and say, 
Hey, do you have a second? I just need to shift this energy. I just need to, and it's not, Hey, do you have a second so we can just bitch for half an hour? It's, Hey, do you have a second so that we can, you can help me shift this energy? And, and nine times out of 10 within five minutes, it's like, yeah, sure. What do you need? Because I'll do the same thing. And right. so allowing yourself to be seen that way means that, yes, we have downtimes, but I don't stay in that energy because it's not going to serve me and it's not going to help me to move forward. But asking for help, it's not easy. But if you surround yourself with the right people and you allow yourself to create that army, it's a piece of cake, honestly, big difference. I think, yeah, that's a very valuable takeaway. And one that whether you have a strong support system or you're in the process of building it, one that we can all relate to is that you can never have too many people who are willing to see you and help you. And I think part of that message, which I really, really appreciate is what you mentioned just a few moments ago of being that person, being that friend, because what you don't want to do is, you know, it's, and this is a lot to consider when you're in that moment, but as I think you evolve, one of the things to consider is, you don't want to be someone just asking for help always from siphoning the energy from your friends and loved ones. You want to pour into their cup too. So that in those Absolutely. moments when you do need that support, it feels like a mutual exchange. And by saying that you ask yourself, you know, who do I want to be? What do I want to show up as? Mm-hmm. I think is a constant, you know, opportunity for us to keep a finger on the pulse of, am I showing up as this person in the world? If yes, then, you know, those are the people that I should be attracting and not to be ashamed or afraid or hesitant to reach out to them because you can believe with confidence that you too would be that person for them. Uh, 100%. And we all have ebbs and flows in our life. There are times I have friends, you know, one of my best, best, best friends who helped me through this time in such a beautiful way. Um, As a young, she's very, she's quite young. Um, suffered a stroke two years ago and it was like, it was just life-changing for all of us. We were so shocked, but I remember pouring as much time and energy into her and going to see her while she was in the hospital. And, you know, she's like, you don't have to. I'm like, no, I want to like, and this is the thing we, there are going to be times where we can give back in others. And there's times where we're on the receiving end. Right. But if we don't feel that we deserve to have those people in our circle, or if we struggle with receiving, then we also won't allow ourselves to have those people come into our life. And I'm going to tell you, receiving for women, boy, that's a tough one. That is it. We struggle with that one. Um, And so we have to work through that. We have to allow and believe that we are worthy, that we are valuable, and that we can receive that support that is available for us. Super important. You're right. You mentioned social media when you were talking about the armor and it's kind of that, Mm. um, that filter, you know, of of the way that we need to show up. I think in my story and how I've seen bits of my journey in yours goes beyond social. And I know that this is not all encompassing of what armor is for you, but Mm -hmm. in the way that I've internalized it for me, anyway, the armor is, long-standing beliefs it's family history it's traditions that i've just accepted to be right it's expectations that have both been placed on me but also the expectations that i unnecessarily have put on others and this imposed vision of success i talk about this in my book that the feeling Mm -hmm. that we need to show up as someone other than ourselves because somewhere someone whether that's a family member a partner a society 
cultural norms have told us this is what success looks like. Mm-hmm. And I think all of that contributes to the weight of this armor and the feeling that we need to be someone other than us and show up as someone other than our authentic selves. And as I was hearing you speak, just as I'm hearing you today, there are bits of that armor, for me anyway, that I am only now learning to put down and to mm-hmm. care less about and to ask for help to move past. Mm-hmm. But social media, uh, as far as I can see right now in my own life, is, is really not the culprit, but it is the story, that the narrative that I've allowed others to create that in redefining my path and really taking, like you say, radical ownership of my own story that I'm recognizing, oh, this doesn't actually fit. Mm-hmm. This doesn't work anymore. And I don't want to carry this with me any longer because it's not mine. It, that is so, it's so on point and so perfect what you said. It really is. It's, it's understanding that um, we can take on and carry whatever we choose to carry. And it, you don't have to carry anything you don't want to. So when somebody says to me, well, I hate how they make me feel guilty. I'm like, well, how do they make you feel guilty? What do they do? And they'll explain it. I'm like, but how did they make you? Like, what did they do to make you feel guilty? And as you really start to break it down, you realize that, oh crap, I'm actually choosing to carry it. And that's radical ownership. So if we choose to do it is different. So even from that standpoint, I'm not, the other thing that goes hand in hand with ownership is not blaming others for where our situation is at that we can't take ownership and blame at the same time. They just don't go together. And for me, I was blaming, like I was angry, angry person. I was blaming, you know, my friends who walked away. I was blaming society. I was blaming my kids. I was blaming my husband. I blamed everyone because I, because nothing was working. So it had to be everyone else's fault in my head, which may sound silly, but that's where my head was at. And so you can't do that and take ownership at the same time. And so learning to let go of all of that now is a case of when I find myself saying, and I'm like, wait a minute, did I, did I carry that? That I, well, I carried that. That was me. That wasn't them. Mm. I totally did that. And I always give the analogy of like life with our backpack. We carry this backpack around with us and we shove down all of the things, whether it's expectations, beliefs, other people, the armor we carry, all that stuff. But in the end of the day, we're the ones putting it in there. We're the ones carrying it. So we have to decide to not carry it and make that, yeah, it doesn't happen immediately. But when we start to realize, I think when, when we can truly realize how much power we have and that we are taking that on ourselves, then if I'm the one carrying all that in my backpack, I'm also the one who can put it down. No one else can put it down for me. I can't make anyone else do that. That's all me. And we start to, I, I found what I found and what I find for some of my clients and friends is that there's so much power in understanding like I actually did have power. I just wasn't using it. Mm. I wasn't using it. I was, my story was completely enveloping me and I gave all of my power to my story and I didn't give any to myself. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Marsha. I think it's, it's one of strength. It's one of perseverance and it's one that gives hope to so many people again, whether or not they've lived the same experience as you to recognize that, they are in control and change is possible, but that it needs to start with a decision to put yourself first. Absolutely. Absolutely. So where can people find you to learn more about your services, your book and story in general? 
I am on most social media under Marsha Van W and my website is www.marshavanw.com and I, my book is available on Amazon and today is ironically today is the two year anniversary of my book being released. So it's just a very, yeah, thank you. It's just a very special, it's a special experience for me because I know I can look back to who I was when I released it. And I went through a massive, massive vulnerability hangover for about six months because I just, I released so much personal content of myself. So I honor those stages and know that was part of the growth. So it makes me happy to think of that. But um, yeah, that's basically, that's, that's basically it. I hang out on all areas of social. I am, you'll find me in fairly active on all, all areas of platforms of social media. Wonderful. Friends, be sure to check the show notes. We're going to put links to Marsha's website, her social handles, and her book. Marsha, this has been so valuable. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so grateful for you giving me the space to share my story, Samantha, and for just just your energy. I'm so grateful our paths connected. And I I think it's a great example of, you know, your circle keeps getting bigger when you open yourself up and you keep crossing paths with new beautiful people. So thank you so much for what you're doing. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Catalyst with Samantha Chris. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I hope you're feeling a little more equipped to lean into the unknown and take inspired action.